بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد respects the listeners assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh we gather for the second part of the tafsir and commentary of surah al-fajr As I mentioned last week, Surah Al-Fajr is a very, is a very early Meccan surah. In terms of its order in the Quran, it's the 89th surah. And in terms of revelation, it's the 10th surah. And in a very simplistic way, we could divide the contents of Surah Al-Fajr into three parts. They are all interconnected. but three distinct sections the first one which we covered last week consists of a number of verses in which allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the beginning of the surah swears by a number of things and then having sworn by these few things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the message and the compliments of these oaths and the message is simply that the nations of before namely the people of Ad the people of Thamud and the people of Pharaoh they rejected their messengers and as a result Allah's punishments befell them and how Allah destroyed them and they spread corruption in the land they transgressed alladhina taghaw fil bilad those who transgressed in the lands fa aktharu fihi al fasad so they made excessive therein corruption fa sabba alayhim rabbuka sawta adhab so your lord poured the scourge of his punishment on them indeed your lord is watchful So that was the section which we completed last week and that's where we stopped. This now leads us to the next section of Surah Al-Fajr which is connected and I'll explain the connection later. But here Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says, "Fa'amma al-insanu idha mabtalahu rabbuhu fa akramahu wa na'amahu fa yaqulu rabbi akraman." 
وأما إذا مبتلاه فقدر عليه رزقه فيقول ربي أهانا كلا بل لا تكرمون اليتيم ولا تحاضون على طعام المسكين وتأكلون التراث أكلا لما وتحبون المال حبا جمع Allah says as for man so as for man when his Lord tests him and then honors him and then favors him. He says, Rabbi Akraman, my Lord has honored me. And as for when his Lord tests him, and then restricts his provision for him, then man says, my Lord has disgraced me. Nay, rather, you do not honor the orphan, and nor do you encourage one another to feed the poor, and you devour inheritance, an excessive devouring, or a passionate devouring. And you love wealth and excessive love. That's a simple translation of these verses. This is more or less a second section of Surah Al-Fajr. And it's actually a whole. All of these verses in this second section form a whole. They are all connected. And this section is connected to the previous part of Surah Al-Fajr, as well as the end part. But let's look at this section first. Allah says, as for man, when his Lord tests him, and he honors him, and blesses him, favors him with his bounty, then man says, my Lord has honored me. And as for when his Lord tests him and restricts his provision for him, then he says, my Lord has disgraced me. These two verses speak of a certain aspect of man's nature, which is his extreme ingratitude. And his impulsive nature, his instability, his rashness, And the best way of understanding these two verses is by other verses of the Qur'an, namely, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, in Surah Al-Ma'arij, كَلَّا إِنَّهَا لَضَى نَزَّاعَةً لِلشَّوَى تَدْعُوا مَنْ أَدْبَرَ وَتَوَلَّى وَجَمَعَ فَعُوعًا إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ خُلِقَ هَلُوعًا إِذَا مَسَّهُ الشَّرُّ جَزُوعًا وَإِذَا مَسَّهُ الْخَيْرُ مَنُوعًا إِلَّا الْمُصَلِّينَ And the verse continue. Before I explain the beginning part, let's just look at three of the, those verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ خُلِقَ هَلُوعًا Man has been created halu' intemperate. إِذَا مَسَّهُ, إذا مسه الشَّرُّ جَزُوعًا When misfortune or evil befalls him, he panics. 
He is excessively panicky. And when good fortune meets him, he is withholding. These three verses accurately describe, in fact, the, just one verse, Man has been created halur. And the meaning of halur is intemperate. Someone who goes to extremes, immoderate. Someone who lacks self-control. And we are all like that. And then Allah expands on that one verse about man being intemperate about going to extremes, about fluctuating, about lacking self-control. Allah describes it with the words, When misfortune befalls him, man is panicky, he panics greatly. And when good fortune meets him, he is withholding. Now, there are many such verses throughout the Holy Qur'an which speak of the same topic. And these two of Surah Al-Fajr are just one of a series of verses which describe man's unstable, fluctuating, immoderate, intemperate nature that he lacks self-control. But in what way? Not lacks self-control in terms of succumbing to temptation. That's, that's true, but that's another topic. This is a much more subtle psychological state of man, which leads him to behave in a certain way, and especially his thinking and his feeling. All of these verses are about thought and feeling, and what these, these thoughts and feelings and emotions ultimately lead to. In order to understand them, allow me to explain in the following manner. Man treats his relationship with Allah like any other relationship with another human being. The way we interact with each other, what we think of each other, how we behave towards each other, what expectations we have of each other. Man treats Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the same way. When man needs something, he turns to Allah. Weeping, beseeching him, supplicating to him, groveling before him, making all kinds of promises. And then as soon as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieves him of his suffering, he ignores Allah. Quite simply, just as we forever complain about people using us, exploiting us, a friend in need is a friend indeed, which you can read both ways. In a good way, a true friend is someone who comes to your aid and assistance when you require them, when you are in need. And in a negative way, 
Friends are those people who call themselves your friends when they need you. And how often have we experienced, and how often do we complain, of people contacting us, meeting us, hovering around us, being with us, communicating with us, when they need us. But as soon as that need has been fulfilled, as soon as our usefulness has expired, they make a disappearing act. We don't hear from them, we don't see them. And then again, if and when the occasion arises, they need us again, they'll contact us. And preempting our inquiry as to why they haven't been in touch, they'll offer all manner of excuses. We experience that from others, and undoubtedly we do that to others ourselves. And we treat Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the same way. We use Allah. We abuse our relationship with Him. Our relationship with Allah is one of fulfilling our needs. It's a selfish one. And Allah describes that beautifully in a verse of the Qur'an. And before we understand the verse, imagine that you've actually helped someone. They are indebted to you. And you haven't just done one small favour to them. You've extended a great favour to them. You've helped them immensely. And you've placed them under an obligation. And they owe you. They are indebted to you. You know that, they know that. Now one day, you happen to be with a large group of people. And that same person comes along. The one who is indebted to you. The one that you saved, the one that you helped. The one who is obliged to you. And in a way you are happy to see them from a distance. But as they draw closer, and you anticipate their greeting, they walk past you and totally ignore you, as though you don't even exist. They know you, they've seen you, but they walk straight past you. They don't even acknowledge your presence. Imagine how hurtful how insulting that is. And in fact, what would you think of such a person? How selfish, how ungrateful, how cold, and any number of other labels that you could give them. Well, imagine that scene, and then listen to the following verse of the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذَا مَسَّ الْإِنسَانَ الضُّرَّ دَعَانَا لِجَنْبِهِ أَوْ قَاعِدًا أَوْ قَائِمًا فَلَمَّا كَشَفْنَا عَنْهُ ضُرَّهُ مَرَّ كَأَلَّمْ يَدْعُنَا إِلَى ضُرٍ مَسَّهِ كَذَلِكَ زُيِّنِ لِلْمُسْرِفِينَ مَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Allah says, when misfortune or when an affliction befalls man, 
He calls out to us, lying on his side, لجنبه, أو قاعدا, or while seated, أو قائمة, or while standing. Meaning at every moment of the day, at every time, in every posture, whether lying down, sleeping, or attempting to sleep, well, when lying down, attempting to sleep, or standing, or sitting, any posture, any moment of the day, the ana he calls out to us. Then when we remove that suffering from him, he passes by as though he never ever called out to us for an affliction that befell him. In this way, the deeds of the transgressors have been beautified for them. So we are selfish and abusive and exploitative in our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as part of that, we treat Allah as we would treat another person. Now imagine if someone calls you to their for an invitation. They're holding a gathering at their house. So they extend an invitation to you. This is a private small gathering. Or they give you a gift. Better still, they come and they offer you a gift. When they offer you a gift, you are happy. You're immensely pleased. You're grateful. Their act of kindness warms you. It endears you. It endears them to you. You feel friendly towards them. It makes your day. There's a spring in your step because you've received a gift. It makes you feel worthwhile, worthy. It gives you value. You feel wanted. And for a moment, all your other problems disappear. The fact that someone has given you a gift makes you happy. Now imagine the same person a few days later. They give someone else a gift. Another gift of another type. And you learn about it. But they they do not give you the same gift. Now all of a sudden, this deprivation of a gift from the same person makes you question their friendship, their loyalty to you. It makes you self-doubt. It makes you doubt your own worth, your own value. Despite all the other problems in your life, this consumes you, eats you up. Why didn't he or she give me something? So one act of kindness makes your day and makes you feel elated and on top of the world. And then one moment of deprivation of withholding on their part, sends us and sinks us to the depths of despair. And we question ourselves, we feel worthless, we feel unwanted. So we go to both extremes. 
Man is very fickle. We are very, very fickle in our friendships, in our relationships. Someone does some good to us, they can make us happy. And despite many moments of kindness, if someone does one wrong, that's it. We hold that grudge against them. And throughout the day, for every day of our lives, we experience this fluctuation in our relationship with other people. Sometimes we're elated, joyous, we feel on top of the world. Sometimes we sink to depths of despair, doubt and hopelessness. That same treatment we meet out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is in terms of wealth and riches. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in these two verses of Surah Al-Fajr, فَأَمَّا الْإِنسَانُ إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ رَبُّهُ So as for man, when his Lord tests him, فَأَكْرَمَهُ And then he honors him, وَنَعْمَهُ And he favors him with his blessings and bounties. And what this means is wealth. Allah gives him wealth. فَيَقُولُ رَبِّي أَكْرَمًا Then man says, my Lord has honored me. وَأَمَّا إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ and as for when his Lord tests him, and then restricts his provision, restricts his sustenance. And then he says, My Lord has disgraced me. You see, this is what we do with Allah. If Allah gives us what we want, we're happy. We're happy with Allah. And we feel that Allah has honored us and blessed us. And despite all the other gifts and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if ever Allah does not give us the one thing we want, Rabbi Ahanan, we feel that our Lord has forsaken us, abandoned us, disgraced us. So one wealth or other material possessions make us feel elated, happy on top of the world. And then at times, when we feel deprived or robbed of one small thing, we sink to depths of despair. And we actually assign that blame to Allah, and we say, Rabbi Ahana, my Lord has disgraced me. Rather, what Islam teaches us, what the Qur'an tells us, what the Prophet has told us, is that a person's worth is not by wealth or material possessions, or even by the way others treat you. What's wealth? Ultimately, what is wealth? Ultimately, what is honor and dignity and izzah that we speak of? What's fame and name? As one celebrity was asked, who has become quite famous, and almost everybody knows the celebrity, that what do you say about fame? And the answer was, I wouldn't wish fame on my, enem- on my worst enemy's dog. I wouldn't wish fame on my worst enemy's dog. 
It's torture. They didn't say it's torture. This is my explanation. Fame. What is fame ultimately? All this adulation, adoration, all this respect. True respect is when respectable people give you respect. And ultimately, what is people's respect? One day, they adore you, they elevate you, they respect you. And at the same time, they have an insatiable appetite for learning about your private affairs. And they will dig into your personal life, trying to find out everything about you in a worshipful way. And then when they come across something, one small thing, one small indiscretion, one small misdemeanor, one mistake. It may not even be a mistake. It may just be a chink in the armor. It may just be one slight, one small thing missing, one small imperfection, which makes you less than perfect. And the same person will now lose all respect, all adoration, all adulation and worship for you. That's fair. A scholar was once travelling with a group with, an, with his entourage of students and they passed by the marketplace. And some people began abusing the scholar, hurling all manner of insults at him. So the students around him, they became quite passionate and angry and indignant and incensed and they began replying. So the scholar told them to remain silent. They couldn't help it, so he compelled them to remain silent. And when he returned, he gathered the students and said, Come. And he pulled, this is an ancient story, he pulled out a chest, if you recall those large chests that people used to have to keep their belongings. He pulled out a large chest and he opened the lid. And he showed the students that the entire chest was filled with letters. So he started giving the letters to the students, saying, read these, read these, randomly. And in the letters, he said, look, in some of the letters, I receive letters from people who tell me that I am the greatest man who walks the surface of the earth. I am Sheikh Islam. I am the greatest of all scholars, the scholar of scholars, the leader of leaders, the saint of saints. I am the Sheikh of Islam. That's what they say about me. And then you find others who write to me at the same time and who hurl all kinds of insults at me, who say of me that I am the scum of the earth, that I am the worst of the people on earth, that I am the most evil of the evil ones. So he said, there you are. This is why I was telling you, don't say anything to them. What's the point? You get all kinds of people. There are those who believe that I am the best of creation at the moment, living on earth. And there are those who feel that I am the worst of the scum of the earth. And he said, this does not make me any more proud. 
And this does not make me feel any worse. For I know my relationship with Allah. The point I'm making is, what is Izzah? Who is honored? In a hadith, Prophet says that there are many who are covered in dust, disheveled, unkempt in appearance, Rejected at the doors, if they knock on the door, someone opens the door and sees them, their appearance, their unkempt appearance, their disheveled appearance, their hair, their, the dust on their clothes. The very sight of them repels people, so they open the door, take one glance at them and slam the door shut in their faces. Won't even give them the opportunity to speak. Allah subhanahu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, the same, there are so many of them. If they were to swear in the name of Allah, Allah would not let their oath go unfulfilled. A man walked past, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was with the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, and he said, what do you say of this man? They said, Ya Rasulullah, as everyone knows, a nobleman of his people. And then they described him, this is just paraphrasing the hadith. If he was to speak, people would listen and obey. And they even said, if he was to ask for someone's hand in marriage, he would never be refused. Then another person walked past and said to him, What do you say of him? Say, Ya Rasulullah, a man of lowly nature, of lowly standing, sorry, a man of lowly status. If he was to speak, nobody was to listen. If he was to instruct, nobody was, would obey. If he was to ask for someone's hand in marriage, he would be refused. No one would entertain him. Prophet wasallam said, the likes of one of him are better than an earth full of those. The likes of one of him is better than a world full of the other one. So what is honor? What is izzah? What is respect? Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul, a man of great standing and intelligence and charm and leadership amongst his people, he said of the Prophet ﷺ, he was the uncrowned king of Medina before the Prophet ﷺ came. And he said of the Prophet ﷺ, Adhan, the most base and lowly one. And he said of himself, Aaz, the most honored one. And indeed, in worldly terms, he was honored in worldly terms. He had all the qualities that we aspire to, that we admire in others. Allah describes him in Surah Al-Munafiqun. وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ تُعْجِبُكَ أَجْسَامُهُمْ وَإِنْ يَقُولُوا تَسْمَعْ لِقَوْلِهِمْ That if you see them, their bodies will please you and astound you. And when they speak, you will listen to them attentively. Why? Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul was tall, handsome, flaming red cheeks, very prepossessing and captivating in his appearance. 
He had a sweet, smooth, alluring voice. He was very articulate, highly eloquent. He commanded a certain presence. He had an aura and a dignity about him. He was a leader of his people. He was the uncrowned king of Medina. He had leadership qualities. He had everything that we aspire to. And yet Allah, and so in worldly terms, he was a man of honor and dignity. But he had the temerity and the arrogance to say of himself, as that the most honored one, meaning he, will drive from Medina, the lowly and base one, meaning Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Allah's response to that was, They say that when we shall return to the city of Medina, the most honored one, meaning Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, will drive out the lowly and base one, meaning Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Allah's only reply to that is, وَلِلَّهِ الْعِزَّةُ وَلِرَسُولِهِ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَلَكِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ To Allah belongs izza and honor. And to his messenger, and to the mu'mineen. But the hypocrites do not know. So, what exactly is izzah? What exactly is fame, honor, respect? What exactly is it? People thinking something about you doesn't make you that. Being rich, so the point I'm making is our self-worth, our self-value, who we are, has got nothing to do with our possessions, our wealth, or even our social status, even the respect that people give to us, or lack thereof, our fame, our being known, or not known. None of this matters, ultimately. None of this makes us who we are. None of, this, none of this gives us our true worth and value. This is why, regardless of whether Allah enriches us or makes us impoverished, that does not mean anything about our worth and value in the sight of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here in these two verses of Surah Al-Fajr, As for man when his Lord tests him, and honors him and favors him with his blessings and bounties, then he says, my Lord has honored me. So we think that Allah loves us only when he gives us wealth, material possessions, and as for man when he, Allah, when his Lord tests him and restricts his provision, restricts his Sustenance. So he says, "Man has Allah, my Lord has disgraced me." We think poverty is a disgrace from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. You see, we are confusing our relationship with Allah with our relationship with our fellow human beings. We are confusing people's treatment of us and people's perception of us with Allah's treatment of us and Allah's perception of us. And they are completely different. True, people in the world 
will regard you if you have money for money talks, if you have social status. If you have a certain social standing, if you are famous and powerful and affluent and influential, people will regard you. And if you are none of these things, maybe they won't regard you. But what, what does people's regard mean at the end of the day? It doesn't mean anything. It does not mean anything. If it's forever fluctuating, it's forever changing. If, if someone thinks that you are an idiot. It does not make you an idiot. And there's no need for you to feel negative about it. Regardless of whether one person thinks that or a hundred people think that. It will only get to you for as long and as, as, as much as you allow it to get to you. Then you're doing it to yourself. They are not doing it to you. So if they say you're an idiot, if you laugh it off, alhamdulillah, and forget about it, water off a duck's back, and carry on, it won't affect you. But if they say you're an idiot, ten people say you're an idiot, and then you sit down and start navel-gazing and wallowing in self-pity and despair, and saying, am I an idiot? They think I'm an idiot. So you're only reinforcing the message. Now, they're not hurting you, you are hurting yourself. And you are letting it get to you. So, regardless of what a person thinks, let people think what they want. As long as you know that you are not doing anything wrong. As long as your relationship with Allah is good, then it's good. As a poet says, فَلَيْتَكَ تَحْلُوا وَالْحَيَاةُ مَرِيرَةٌ وَلَيْتَكَ تَرْضَى وَالْأَنَامُ غِضَابُ وَلَيْتَ الَّذِي بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَكَ عَامِرٌ وَبَيْنِي وَبَيْنَ الْعَالَمِينَ خَرَابُ إِذَا صَحَّ مِنْكَ الْوُدُّ فَالْكُلُّ هَيِّنٌ وَكُلُّ الَّذِي فَوْقَ التُرَابِ تُرَابُ The poet says, فَلَيْتَكَ تَحْلُوا So would that addressing Allah, would that you are sweet, and life is bitter. Would that you are sweet and life is bitter. And would that you are happy and pleased. And the whole of mankind is angry. وَلَيْتَ الَّذِي بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَكَ عَامِرٌ And would that the relationship between you and me is alive and vibrant and inhabited. وَبَيْنِي وَبَيْنَ الْعَالَمِينَ خَرَابُ And would that between me and the whole of creation there is desolateness. إِذَا صَحَّ مِنْكَ الْوُدُّ فَالْكُلُّ هَيِّنُ if, O oh Allah, if your love is true, then all else is light. And all that is on the dust of the earth is dust itself. That's it. People's respect, their love, their hate, 
their envy, their anger, their honour, their friendship. All of it is dust upon dust. They are dust. We are dust. But as long as there is the relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we should never confuse our relationship with Allah as being similar to our relationship with our fellow human beings. We shouldn't treat Allah in the same way. It's a completely different understanding. It's a completely different relationship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not see a person's worth in their wealth or in their property and in their possessions. And Allah does not give wealth according to his liking of that person. When Allah restricts someone's sustenance, it's not because Allah has disgraced them, as the verse says, that man thinks accordingly. And when Allah blesses someone with wealth, it does not mean that Allah loves them or has honored them. If that was the case, wouldn't the Messenger وسلم, be the wealthiest of all? Would he have suffered famine, hunger, thirst? Would he have lived and survived for days on end on dates and water and the occasional milk? Would the hearth in his home have not been lit for up to two months because there was no solid food to cook? And that was in Medina. Would the Prophet ﷺ have lived in a simple hut? Allahu Akbar. That was his life. So a person's worth and value in the sight of Allah, his being honoured or disgraced, has got nothing to do with wealth and material possessions. This is man's erroneous and corrupt understanding of his relationship with Allah. Rather, a person's relationship with Allah is founded on many different things. Then Allah, and throughout the Qur'an, there are many verses that speak about this. As I said, When man has been created halur, meaning intemperate. So if he gets what he wants, he thinks that Allah loves him. If he doesn't get what he wants, he thinks that Allah hates him. And we, we do that with everybody. There's real psychology behind this. It's, we are projecting our fears and our mind and our thoughts onto someone else. We imagine if somebody doesn't contact you, for instance, you're expecting them to contact you, a family member. Let's say your mother. Your mother contacts you. Sorry, you waiting to hear from your mother. She doesn't contact you. Sometimes you may fear, well actually, maybe not so much the mother, but someone else. I'll tell you why, because we take our mothers and our fathers for granted. But someone else, we want their love, we want their attention, and we're hoping and expecting them to contact us. Maybe they genuinely do care for us. But for some reason, they just couldn't contact us. We don't hear from them for a day or two, and we expect them to hear from them. We start worrying and thinking all kinds of things. It's the same fluctuation. 
we sink to depths of despair and despondency. And we begin imagining things. Why are they having doubts about me? Do they dislike me? We projecting our fears and our imagination onto someone else. And we do that with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Quite simply, wealth, material possessions have got nothing to do with Allah's relationship with us. And we are intemperate and immoderate and impulsive in our nature. إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ خُلِقَ هَلُوعًا Man has been created هَلُوعًا intemperate. إِذَا مَسَّهُ الشَّرُّ جَزُوعًا When misfortune befalls him, he is despondent. And he panics. وَإِذَا مَسَّهُ الْخَيْرُ مَنُوعًا And when good fortune meets him, he is withholding, meaning he becomes stingy. He feels all happy and elated. Allah says, لا يسم الإنسان من دعاء الخير وإما السه الشر فيؤوس مقنوط ولين أذقناه منا رحمة من بعد ضراء مست ليقولن هذا لي وما أظن الساعة قائمة ولئن رجعت إلى ربي إن لي عنده للحسنى Man does not ever tire of praying for good وإما السه الشر but if misfortune befalls him, then he is despairing, despondent. Then, so he's down in the dumps. Then Allah says, Then if we give him some mercy to taste from ourselves, after a misfortune that had befallen him, suddenly he says, this is for me, meaning I deserve this. I deserve this. And he makes him so he rises from the depths and from the, from the dumps to feeling on top of the world to such an extent that he says, that I think there is no hour of judgment. And even if there is, if I am returned to my Lord, I shall have good fortune there by him too. So this is it. We fluctuate from the lowest of depths to the heights of arrogance. And that's what Allah mentions in these two verses. There's so much more to say about these two verses, but I'll suffice with that. I'll translate them again. As for man, when his Lord tests him and honors him and blesses him, then he says, my Lord has honored me. And when his Lord tests him, and as for when his Lord tests him, and restricts his risk, his provision for him, then he says, my Lord has disgraced me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, Kalla, balla tukrimun al-yateen. Nay, you do not honor the orphan. Wala tahaddun ala tu'am al-miskeen. And nor do you encourage one another to feed the poor. And you devour inheritance. A great devouring. A passionate devouring. And you love wealth excessively. Now, what have these few verses got to do with the previous two verses? I said earlier, it's a whole. 
ultimately, this is all about the love of wealth. So the love of wealth is mentioned right at the end. But it's the love of wealth which causes all of these behaviors. So the love of wealth causes you not to be stingy, to be tight-fisted, to be miserly, to be withholding, to not spend and to not share. The love of wealth prevents you from feeding the poor. The love of wealth causes you to devour unlawfully inheritance. The love of wealth causes you to dishonor the orphan. The love of wealth causes you to behave in this manner that when Allah gives you wealth, you are happy with Allah. When Allah doesn't give you wealth, you are displeased with Allah. So it's all to do with the love of wealth. So Allah says, Nay, you do not honor the orphan. As I mentioned before, on Friday in the Bukhari commentary and on other occasions. Surah Al-Fajr is a Makkan Surah. And the Makkan Surahs primarily addressed the people of Makkah, the Quraysh, and most importantly, the elite of the Quraysh, the rich merchants, the merchant class, the rich upper class of Makkah. Because the others... The Arabs in general had a great tradition of hospitality. And they would share, they would give, they would entertain. But not the rich. Because the richer a person becomes, by the testimony of the Qur'an, the stingier a person becomes. Unless, of course, they can tackle that through goodwill and good deeds. So the Makkans despite being the the elite amongst them, despite being powerful, affluent and influential, and wealthy enough, they refused to spend. Rather than spending on the orphans, they robbed the orphans of their wealth. And the messages in general, although originally the address was to the Quraysh, the Quran and its message and its verses are universal for all times, and we should think of ourselves as being addressed here, so, Nay, you do not honor the orphan. Our love of wealth prevents us from sharing, from spending in charity. And one of the greatest groups, most deserving of our charity and our consideration, is a group of orphans. Throughout the Quran, Allah has mentioned orphans time and time again. Surah Al-Ma'un, which we covered. أَرَأَيْتَ الَّذِي يُكَذِّبُ بِالدِّينَ فَذَلِكَ الَّذِي يَدُعُّ الْيَتِينَ وَلَا يَحُضُّ عَلَى طَعَامِ الْمِسْكِينَ Have you not seen one who rejects the religion or rejects the reckoning? Have you not seen one who rejects the reckoning? This is the one who drives away the orphan and who does not encourage others to feed the poor. In Surah Al-Duha, Allah reminds the Prophet ﷺ about being an orphan himself. أَلَمْ يَجِدْكَ يَتِيمًا فَآوَى وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًا فَهَدَى وَوَجَدَكَ عَائِلًا فَأَغْنَى That did he not find you an orphan and then give you shelter? Then in response to that, Allah tells him later, What should you do, O Messenger of Allah? فَأَمَّ الْيَتِيمَ فَلَا تَقْهَرْ 
As for the orphan, do not rebuke him. Do not even rebuke him. And as for the beggar, as for the one who asks. Well, as for the orphan, do not suppress him. And as for the one who asks, do not rebuke him. Throughout the Quran, Allah has spoken about the rights of the orphans. And in Surah Al-Insan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises those who will receive special rewards on the Day of Judgment. They will drink from the streams and the fountains of Jannah. And of them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what would they do on earth? They would feed people. Allah says they would feed, they would feed food for the love of Allah. To whom? Miskina, to the poor, and to the orphan, and to the captive. And they would say, and they would feel, that we only feed you for the sake of Allah. We do for the countenance of Allah. We do not seek any gratitude or reward from you. The Prophet ﷺ himself was an orphan. The orphans have great rights. People, since the orphans are weak, vulnerable and helpless, sometimes family members themselves, in the name of looking after the orphans, they devour the wealth of the orphans. And of that Allah says, Those who consume the wealth of the orphans unlawfully, they are only consuming the fire in their stomachs. And they shall enter the fire. Prophet ﷺ was a yateem and an orphan himself. He grew up as an orphan. And he felt it. And regarding the orphan, the Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and many others from a number of different Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, Prophet ﷺ said, أنا وكافل اليتيم كهاتين في الجنة I and the custodian and carer of the orphan will be like this in paradise. And then the Prophet ﷺ joined his two noble fingers. And in another hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, Whoever caters for an orphan by feeding him and looking after him, feeding him, giving to eat and drink and looking after him until the orphan becomes self-capable and self-standing, then what happens to him? Wajibat lahu al-jannah. Jannah becomes wajib for him, obligatory for him. And in one hadith, although the ulama have questioned, the, the hadith is weak, but the hadith is that Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi has related it, not in his sahih, but in his al-adab al-mufrad, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, that the best of homes is a, amongst the Muslims is a home in which an orphan is being honoured. And the worst of homes amongst the Muslim, homes of the Muslims is a home in which the orphan is not being treated well. For orphans have great rights. 
And even in, in verses throughout the Qur'an, orphans have a right to our wealth. In Surah Al-Baqarah, لَيْسَ الْبِرَّ أَن تُوَلُّوا وَجُوهَكُمْ قِبْلَ الْمَشْرِقِ وَالْمَغْرِبِ وَلَكِنَّ الْبِرَّ مَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَالْمَلَائِكَةِ وَالْكِتَابِ وَالنَّبِيِّينَ وَآتَ الْمَالَ عَلَى حُبِّهِ ذَوِي الْقُرْبَى وَالْيَتَامَى وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَابْنِ السَّبِيلِ Allah mentions in this verse of Surah Al-Baqarah, it's a very long verse, virtue, righteousness, is not that you face the east or the west, i.e. in prayer, formal ritual prayer. Rather, piety, righteousness, is of that person who believes in Allah, and in the final day, and in the angels, and in the book, and in the prophets. And after correct belief, in terms of deeds, these are the deeds which make a person virtuous and righteous in the sight of Allah. Not formal ritual prayer. Rather, the one who gives wealth in the name of the Allah, for the love of Allah, to whom? The will qurba to one's relatives, and to the orphans. So immediately after one's own relatives, the first most deserving and rightful recipients of one's donations and charity are the orphans. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kalla balla al Nay, you do not honor the orphan. And children are vulnerable. They don't have their parents, they don't have their carers and custodians. If only we would think about them as we think of our own children. Imagine if our child was in that position. So, كَلَّا بَلَّا تُكْرِمُونَ الْيَتِيمِ Nay, you do not honor the orphan. وَلَا تَحَادُّونَ عَلَى طَعَامِ الْمِسْكِينَ Nor do you encourage one another to feed the poor. It's true. We feed ourselves. We feed others. And as I mentioned in the Friday dars, often what happens? So much food gets wasted. We have wedding invitations, wedding functions, banquets, feasts, where people extend invitations insincerely, people accept the invitations insincerely, and people feed in order to save face, and people eat in order to save face. And we, we witness that in our culture. Whenever we have a wedding invitation, when we sit down to invite for people, how many should we invite? Who should we invite? And our greatest consideration is, again, that same izzah thing. What will they say? What will people say about us? This one-upmanship. That family spent 20,000 on the wedding. We must spend 30. And the numbers continue to climb. And now we hear of people mortgaging their homes in order to throw a bash at their child's wedding. Merely to look good in the Muslim community, in Muslim culture. To spend up to £50,000 giving gifts, holding a huge banquet, not even one day's feasting and festivity, seven days feasting and festivity continuously. And to save face, to show face, to save face, to impress, to create an impression. So 
Invitations are extended in sincerely to save face. People accept the invitations and come to save face. All of our izzah should we invite that family? Oh, we have to. Not because anyone wants to. But if we don't, we'll never get to hear the end of it. There will be trouble. What will people say? We can't just have a hundred guests. What will people say? It's all about what people say. And of, of that, Allah says in the Quran, people want different things. One person can't decide what they want for themselves. Their desires change from morning to evening. So how do we think we can fulfill other people's desires about us? Of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَوِ اتَّبَعَ الْحَقُّ أَهْوَاءَهُمْ لَفَسَدَتِ السَّمَاوَاتُ وَالْأَرْضُ مَنْ فِيهِنْ that if the truth was to follow their desires, the heavens and the earth and all that who are therein will perish. The heavens and the earth will perish. In another verse, If you follow most of whom are on the earth, they will lead you astray from the path of Allah. What people think. What will they say? What will they think? So we extend our wedding invitations insincerely. And when the wedding invitation arrives, people, we know, we have this discussion. Should I go? Should I not go? Should we go? Shouldn't we go? No, we have to go. We must go. Why? To save face. If we don't go, there'll be trouble. We'll never hear the end of it. If we don't go, what will people say? So we go there not to eat, but to save face. We are invited there not to be fed, but to save face. But the ones who deserve to be fed, the needy, the poor, the orphans. Allahu Akbar. We will drive up in our hired cars to the wedding hall. And there, possibly on the streets, will be those looking for food. And now, even here in this country, that is not unheard of. That is not unheard of. Only today I read in the newspaper, the Archbishop of Canterbury made a comment that he was more shocked about the, about pe- about the level of poverty And the spectacle of people being fed from food banks here in the UK. He was more shocked by this than he was shocked by the state of some of the refugee camps. And here now in this country too. More than half a million people are regularly collecting food from food banks. This is why I say we may drive up in our hired cars and vehicles to the wedding hall, whilst around us there are people who are in much greater need. To feed the poor, to give of our wealth, to share from our wealth, to give our food. We waste more food than we ever give in charity. And this is a tradition which needs to be 
upheld. Not just dismissively and absent-mindedly dropping a few coins or a few notes or writing a check for people to be fed somewhere else, but to feed. Didn't we hear in the hadith of Hijrah on Friday how the Prophet ﷺ, when he milked the animal, he gave to Umm Ma'bad radiyallahu anha, then he gave to Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiyallahu anha, then he gave to Amir ibn Fuhayra, and even to Abdullah ibn Uraiqit, a non-Muslim. And only then at the end did he drink from the milk himself. To feed people with their with your one's own hands is an act of great charity in Islam. So Allah says, Nay, you do not feed the you do not honor the orphan, and nor do you encourage one another to feed the poor. And you devour inheritance, a passionate devouring. It was true then, it's true now. Members of the family have their rightful share in inheritance in the estate. And yet, the common custom is that the, the eldest or the most powerful or the one sitting on the land, on the property, in the property, unlawfully stakes a claim on that property and sometimes just usurps it, just takes it, confiscates it, steals it. This is theft. This is depriving another of their rightful share of the inheritance. It was true then, it's true now. And this is the nature of wealth. We break our backs. We stress our minds. We burden our hearts. We break our hearts. We break other people's hearts. All in the process of accumulating wealth. Only for our own loved ones to squabble over that wealth when we die. To create divisions. That wealth becomes a... Is it a burden? Is it a blessing or a burden? Is it a boon or a curse? All our lives we slave ourselves to earn so much wealth. And we deposit that wealth in dust. Bricks, mortar, buildings... Land. It's earth, it's dust, it's soil at the end of the day. And when we depart, what happens? Our own family members squabble over that wealth. And unlawfully some of them devour it. And another meaning of devouring is that even if they receive it lawfully or unlawfully, how do some people spend their inheritance? They blow the money. So their parents have worked all their lives to create this wealth and to leave it for the well-being and welfare of their children. And whether they receive it lawfully or unlawfully, some of them squander it. And you devour wealth, a passionate devouring. And then Allah ends this section with the words... And you love wealth excessively. An excessive love. This is the key 
to this whole section. It's this which leads to all the previous behaviors. It's this which leads a person to view Allah in that manner. If Allah gives them possessions, material possessions, they feel that Allah has honored them. And if Allah deprives them of material possessions, they feel that Allah has disgraced them. It's a love of wealth. And indeed we do love wealth. Islam does not condemn the creation of wealth, the generation of wealth. It doesn't. Islam does not condemn hard work, earning with one's hands. Far from it. Islam encourages strongly. But it's a very balanced philosophy of wealth in Islam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam has told us in the hadith. If you were to accept a simple and crude philosophy of wealth, it's of three parts in Islam. One, work hard, earn wealth, generate wealth, stand on your feet. Do not be reliant or dependent on anyone else. Earn with your own hands. Create wealth for yourselves, for your families, for society, for community. For everyone. Once you have created that wealth. Number two. Let that wealth be in your... Share that wealth. Give to others. Everyone has a right and share in that wealth. Honor Allah in that wealth. And number three, let the wealth be in your hands, but never in your heart. Let the wealth help you prepare for your hereafter. That's the most important thing. Let not the wealth distract you from Allah and His remembrance. So when Allah condemns a love of wealth, it's not a condemnation of earning or working hard or generating and creating wealth. No, it's a condemnation of the love of wealth in the heart, which is something different because one is never satisfied. Never. And that's what Allah condemns. It's the mentality. It's the love of wealth. And the condemnation of the Qur'an and the hadith of the love of wealth is to do mainly with the heart. Because that's detached and totally separate from wealth being in one's hands or not. Because the love of wealth is always there. We could be penniless and we love wealth. We could be billionaires and still love wealth. It doesn't make a difference. Then there are those servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whose hearts Allah has purified and cleansed of the love of wealth. For them, they don't love wealth, regardless of whether it's in their possession or not in their possession. So it's the attachment of our hearts to wealth and to the dunya which is to be condemned. And we do love wealth. This is to do with shuh and greed, with the desire for material possessions. For us, it's never enough. And part of it is to do with our fear of poverty. 
Allah says in Surah Al-Baqarah, الشيطان يعدكم الفقر ويأمركم بالفحشاء والله يعدكم مغفرة منه وفضلا والله واسع عليم The devil, shaitan, threatens you with poverty and instructs you to lewdness and to sin and immorality. And Allah promises you forgiveness and bounty. And Allah is full of bounty, full of knowledge. Allah is all aware, all knowing. What that verse clearly shows is that the fear of poverty from shaitan leads us to committing sin. We never think it's enough. We're always planning ahead. So, no matter how much we have in our hands, we never think it's enough. We always want something, like little children, want the next toy, want the next material possession, want the next thrill, moment of thrill. Once that moment passes, we get bored of it. Gadgets, toys, it doesn't make a difference. And that's what I was mentioning on Friday about the sales. Just in the past two weeks, well, actually just last week, we had sales. And the newspapers were replete with stories of stampedes, fighting, jostling, people being wounded, injured, arrested. Absolute mayhem, scuffles and scrums inside stores at midnight, at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, with a total abandonment of dignity and consideration, a very demeaning, undignified spectacle. And all for what? SubhanAllah, in some parts of the world, in refugee camps, where people have not eaten for days, People line up and queue in an orderly fashion in order to receive food rations and packages. They, despite their hunger and famine, behave in a more dignified manner than satiated, wealthy, relatively wealthy individuals such as us, stampeding and falling over one another in supermarkets at midnight. In order to, for what? Not to grab a bottle of water because our thirst is killing us. Nor to grab a morsel of food of which we have been deprived for days on end. No. For Blu-ray players, games consoles, digital TVs. For Dyson cleaners, vacuums. And as one person said, I ended up getting a Dyson. I ended up getting it, but I don't know why I got it. So we don't even know why we get it. What's the reasoning? What's the motive? What's the emotion behind such behavior? Shah, greed. We're never satisfied. That's what Allah says. Whoever is protected from the greed and the avarice of his soul, these are the ones who are successful. Because greed is in the eyes, it's in the heart. And that's what it means. You love wealth excessively. 
We can never get enough of it. It's never ending. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ tells us in a very beautiful hadith. So many Sahaba عنهم, have related this hadith. Abdullah ibn Abbas, Abu Hurairah, Jabir ibn Abdullah, Abdullah ibn Zubayr, and so many others. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in this hadith, related by Imam Bukhari in his Sahih, that Abdullah ibn Zubayr was delivering a khutbah in Makkah al-Mukarramah in which he said, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول لو أن ابن آدم أعطي واديا ملأ من ذهب أحب إليه ثانية ولو أعطي ثانيا أحب إليه ثالثة ولا يسد جوف ابن آدم إلا التراب ويتوب الله على من تاه He says عبد الله بن الزبير رضي الله عنهما says Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would say, he never said this once, he would say, more than once, that if man was to be given a valley filled with gold, mal'am min dhahab, one valley filled with gold, pure gold, he would desire a second. And if he was given a second valley of gold, he would desire a third. And nothing can fill the vacuum or the cavity in man except the dust of the earth, i.e. when he is buried. And Allah relents to those whom he wishes to turn to in mercy. And the best way of understanding this hadith, okay, we may not think much of it, a valley full of gold, a second valley, a third valley, subhanAllah. Imagine, think of it in this way. In the entire history of mankind, the total amount of gold ever mined and excavated from the earth will only fill approximately four Olympic swimming pools or two football fields. So an Olympic swimming pool, two meters in depth, 50 meters in length, 25 meters in width. Less than four Olympic, fewer than four Olympic swimming pools. The total amount of gold ever mined and excavated by the whole human race in the entire history of mankind collectively does not fill more than Four Olympic swimming pools. That's 50 meters in length, 25 meters in width, only two meters in height. And the equivalent of a football field is just two football fields. Two football pitches, and that's not even of great depth. Two football pitches pitches is how much gold has been extracted and mined by all humanity in its entire history. And look at what goes on because of gold. Now, two football pitches or four Olympic swimming pools. We're not even talking about that. We're talking about one whole valley between two mountains filled with gold. 
They say that gold is becoming scarce even in the, in the ground. So, one valley full of gold, that's actually many, many more times the gold that's actually available in earth, on earth. If we had all of that, man would still want a second. And if he was given a second, he would still want a third. And infinitely, it goes on. Nothing can satisfy that desire and love and lust for wealth in man. Except the dust of the earth. That's the only thing that will satisfy him. That will fill that cavity. It's like we have a jove, a cavity in us. And we want to fill it. It's empty. But that emptiness in the heart cannot be filled even with valleys of gold. The only thing that can fill that emptiness is the dust of the earth. Or the love of Allah and the Akhirah. And I mentioned in a number of surahs before, in Surah Al-Ma'oon, in Surah Al-Takath, or in Surah Al-Humaza, about the love of wealth. And I'll just mention two hadith and we'll end with that. Refer to those surahs for a description of the love of wealth. But Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi alayhi, relates a hadith from Abdullah ibn al-Shakhir, who says that, I came to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he was reciting Surat Surat Al-Takathur, Al-Hakum Al-Takathur. When he finished, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Yaqul ibn Adam, Mali Mali." Man says, "The son of Adam." Man says, "My wealth, my wealth." Qal. Then the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Wahallaka yabna Adam min Malik." إِلَّا مَا أَكَلْتَ فَأَفْنَيْتَ أَوْ لَبِسْتَ فَأَبْلَيْتَ أَوْ تَصَدَّقْتَ فَأَنْضَيْتَ Prophet said, O man, do you have anything of your wealth except what you have eaten and therefore caused to perish? Or you have worn and worn out? Or you have spent in charity and sent ahead for yourself? Meaning, the Prophet ﷺ says, all of man's possessions, all of his wealth, can be divided into three parts, three things. What he eats and finishes, he can call that his own. What he wears, and not just wears once, but what he wears and wears out, that belongs to him. So food which he has consumed and that's nourished him, and strengthened him, or clothes that he has worn and worn out, therefore they are not useless for anybody else, he can call them his possessions. And the third thing, which still belongs to him, is if he's spent in charity, then he has secured that reward for himself in the akhirah, and he's sent it ahead, that belongs to him. Only that much. Nothing else of his wealth belongs to him. And this is explained in another hadith related by Imam Muslim in his Sahih from Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an, who says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, يَقُولُ الْعَبْدُ مَالِي مَالِي The servant of Allah says, My wealth, my wealth. وَمَا لَهُ مِن مَالِهِ إِلَّا ثَلَاثِ And he does not have of his wealth except three things. مَا أَكَلَ فَأَفْنَى أَوْ لَبِسَ فَأَبْلَى 
أو أعطى فقتنا وما سوى ذلك فهو ذاهب وتاركه للناس he has of his wealth only three things what he eats and causes to perish and finishes it what he, dress, what he wears and wears out or what he gives and hoards and treasures as a reward for himself in the akhirah and anything besides these three then he is about to depart and leave all of it for the people and that's true what we claim to be ours out of our millions even if we have them only what we eat and what we wear and wear out belongs to us or what we give in charity everything else we're just holding it on we're just holding on to it for the sake of others we lose our sleep we lose our sleep but we will never use it we lose our peace of mind but we will never use it that's our love of wealth and that love of wealth creates greed in us we it's the wealthier we get the older we get the greater the intensity of our love of wealth and that's a fact mentioned in the hadith greed never ends and we need to combat that greed and avarice in our souls and there's a very unique story Imam Tabari rahmatullahi alayhi relates this in his tafsir with his chain that someone was doing tawaf around the Kaaba and he heard someone making only one dua whilst performing tawaf around the Kaaba. It's a time for the acceptance of dua. And this one man was making only one dua. Allahumma qini shuha nafsi. Allahumma qini shuha nafsi. Allahumma qini shuha nafsi. Oh Allah, protect me from the greed of my soul. Oh Allah, protect me from the greed of my soul. And he just kept on making this one dua. So this person approached him and asked him that you're always, you only make this one dua, why? Why do you pray to Allah to protect you from the greed of your soul? So he replied by saying, if Allah protects me from the greed of my soul, then I will not commit this sin, I will not commit that sin. And he went through a list of sins. And what he was saying is, it's greed which leads to these sins. So if Allah can cut the root, if Allah can cure me of the very basis and the root of all of these sins, then I am saved. And then the narrator says that lo and behold, the person was none other than the companion Abdul Rahman ibn Awf radiallahu so Allahumma qini shuha nafsi, O Allah, protect me from the greed of my soul. I end with this. Let me end by just quickly translating this section again, which we completed today, the second part of Surah Al-Fajr. I won't read the Arabic, I'll just do the quick translation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, As for man, when his Lord tests him, and then honors him, and blesses him with favors and bounties, he says, My Lord has honored me. And as for man, when his Lord tests him, and restricts his provision, then he says, my Lord has disgraced me. Nay, you do not honor the orphan, nor do you encourage one another to feed the poor, and you devour inheritance, a great devouring, a passionate devouring, and you love wealth, an excessive love. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand 
وصلى الله وسلم على عبده ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد والله إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on double zero double four one two one double seven one three triple seven, or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions. All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting, or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.